Um, we are back in the book of Matthew, so if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. If you don't have a Bible, just slip your hands up, and one of the ushers can get you one. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to be back in this, and uh, where we were last time was when the, the four friends had kind of lowered the paralytic to Jesus, and so he, you know, tells them his sins are forgiven, and this causes this kind of this uproar, and the first kind of questions of opposition start, start showing up to Jesus and what he's about. And what I love about today is, is although it's not this amazing story or this incredible, like, wow, deep theology and all this other stuff, but this is, what I love about the text today is that this is, this is a section where I feel like we can get our first experience of what Jesus was about. Not just kind of what he taught, but this is kind of the first opportunity where we can see ourselves engage with Jesus. In fact, and there's probably more than this, but in fact, in this text, we can find about three postures to Christ. We can come, we can come to Christ with three postures, and, and what I realize is that although these are all three different postures, and, and they come from different ways, and you can experience them differently, I feel like sometimes we kind of weave in and out of all of them. Maybe we, at one point we understand one, and then we, we swing to another because of life circumstances or issues or, or frustrations, but... But basically, we, we can find ourselves approaching, when it comes to Jesus Christ, a posture approaching Him in, in one of these three ways. And again, like I said, there may be, there may be more, and there's, there probably are, but, but either way, from the text today, what we gain is, is, is a little bit of knowledge on, on how we can posture ourselves with the Son of God or Jesus Christ. And, and again, I'm excited about being here, and, and we're getting into a lot of other stuff that I'm not as excited to get into, but we'll get to it anyways. Um, so I'm going to pray real quick, and we'll, we'll dive in. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for um, just the truth that's in it. Lord, may we be marked by this today. May we be um, a people that, that truly allow your word to saturate our hearts, not just in thought, but that we could turn into action. I think about um, just even the, the opportunity that we had last week to just serve um, Sunday to, to get out and, and be a part of the church as opposed to just showing up and, and learning about church. God, may we be a people that take what you teach us through your word and, and apply it to action for your glory and your glory alone. May we not be here just checking a box, but be here because we truly desire to, to be in community with those who love you, um, bringing incredible glory to your son, Jesus Christ, as a part of his tangible kingdom today on earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So text, it's, it's Matthew 9, I'm just going to read through it, chap, uh, verse 9, all the way down through 17. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew. Now, let's pause real quick. As Jesus passed on, he was just in Capernaum, and just to the east is, is the Jordan River letting into the Sea of Galilee. Sea of Galilee is a huge area. This was a, a massive thoroughfare from all the places to the east and north of, of Capernaum. So people would come through this way all the time to get to get all over around in this area. So this is a very, very, very busy, busy road, okay? And as he passed there, he, sees, he, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at, at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? 
And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment, and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. And so there's three groups of people coming to Jesus here. There's three, three kind of postures. And the first one is actually he didn't even come to Jesus. It's Matthew. And we talked about Matthew at the beginning of this, of this beginning of the book, but we talked about him in the sense that, that Matthew was a tax collector. Now, in, in these days, tax collectors meant a, a number of different things. There were, there were a few different versions. But essentially, a tax collector was, was someone, usually a Jewish person, who had, who had forsaken Israel and, and bought the right to claim and to, to collect tax on the people of Israel for um, Rome and Rome's rule over Israel. So these people already kind of dumped their, their, their heritage of, as a Jewish person and kind of said, you know what, I'm going to exploit the Jewish people at the expense to pay for the taxes of the Romans. And they had the full Roman guard behind them, so people couldn't really just attack them because they had the army of the Roman, the Roman army protecting them. But these tax collectors had, there were a few different versions. There was one tax collector that was, uh, they essentially would tax land and, and some of the basic stuff, and, and they weren't as despised, but still despised. And then there was a second class of tax collector that they were the tax collectors that would tax everything. Like, you know, walk by and it's, oh, you caught 10 fish today. Well, that's a tax. Oh, you got brown hair today, so that's a tax. I don't know about brown hair. But, but they, would, they would tax on absolutely everything. They would, bring, they would bring money from everything. And as long as they gave Rome what Rome wanted, they could keep everything off the top. And so the system just bred horrible ex- exploitation of people. And they would just take and take and take. And it didn't matter if the crop was terrible that year, tax collectors made great money either way. And so they were ruthlessly, ruthlessly despised. Now, the second class of tax collectors would usually be one of two people. There'd be a bigger version of it where they would hire in other people to come underneath to collect the taxes, a larger group of people that would, that would take on those taxes from other people. And then there was the, the smaller version who they would collect it themselves. Now, the smaller version's face was tied to the exploitation. And so the smaller version was, was, was even hated even more. And this was obviously Matthew because he's sitting in the tax booth by himself. And so I can't help but picture Matthew. He's sitting there minding his own business. Now this is Matthew who, I might add, like he wasn't allowed as a tax collector to go in the temple anymore. In the synagogues, he wasn't allowed to worship. He would have been, he would have been beaten, lashed up to almost 40 times, right? Where he was, he was kicked out, excommunicated. You are no longer allowed to worship with us. You are despised. You are hated. No one wants to look you in the eyes. And he would have, it would have been very common for, for people to hurl insult, insults at him. For him to probably, I, I imagine if he was in the spot, he would walk with his head down. In fact, the only friends he had were other tax collectors, were other people that were ostracized by community, other people that were pushed out. And so here's Matthew, this, this hated, this despised person sitting in his tax booth, collecting taxes on anything and everything. Oh, you got an extra pair of sandals. You got whatever he wanted to do. This is what you need to give, making sure he made his quota and then having extra on top of it. And here comes Jesus. Now, at this point, Jesus has already caused quite a ruckus. 
right? People from Jerusalem were starting to come and say, okay, what's going on with this Jesus character? There's some, some healings we heard about. He, you know, he's, he's, we, there's some, something about a bunch of bacon running into the Sea of Galilee and dying. Like, we're not sure what's going on with that. Like, there's, there's stories and murmurs of what's going on. And so it would be obvious that Matthew, sitting in a, in a thoroughfare, would have heard some of these things. And I like to picture this, and we don't get, the, the text doesn't really give us much of it, but I like to read into it sometimes. And I just picture Matthew kind of sitting there doing his, his scribal techniques and writing down and, you know, dotting his I's and crossing his T's and kind of getting the numbers, and he kind of hears a crowd coming. Because at this point, Jesus was not walking alone, right? People, there was always a crowd following Jesus. And it, like any crowd, you could hear the, the thumping of the feet and, and a bunch of voices. And I could feel like Matthew at this point's heart would beat a little bit faster, knowing that it, what he's about to experience is a bunch of Jews that do not like him. A bunch of Jews that are going to look at him and hurl insults on him, are going to despise him, or maybe just not say anything, just reminding him again that you are not welcome. You are not worthy. You are not welcome in any way. You are hated for who you are. And as these people walk, it's like the crowd stops right in front of him. I picture Matthew just slowly looking up, and there he's staring Jesus in the face. And Jesus looks at him and says, follow me. We don't get any other thing. He says, he says two words to him. And now I, I like to believe that, that Matthew didn't even think about it for a second. He like broke the pin through it and, you know, some dramatic like stood up, took whatever, you know, his work shirt off and his work hat or whatever it was and said, I'm in and followed. Because here, here's the thing. That was probably the last thing he ever expected any Jewish person to say to him, let alone someone who's got a crowd following him. And the gospel of Mark and Luke tells that he instantly got up instantly followed him. Now, this is a very provocative thing for Jesus to do. This is one of the last disciples he called to follow him. At this point, he had, he had called fishermen and some of these other people, but, but this was a person that was hated by the, in the entirety of every other person around him. And he says, hey, follow me. And Matthew does what any person who has been hated by every single person around. Maybe every day he collected money, he rethought, why? Why did I, why did I buy into this? Why did I sell my rights into this? Why, why am I in this spot and so lonely and empty and hollow? And at this moment, it was like a way out. I'm in. He knew he was walking away. He could never come back as a tax collector. There was no option of that. So he was walking away from everything, and he got up and bailed. And I love what he does. We get a little bit where just, oh, and they were eating dinner. Luke, the Gospel of Luke tells us a little more. Like, he basically throws a party. And why I love this is because you have all done this at one point or another. I guarantee it. You've said in one thing when it comes to evangelism, I'm just not sure I know enough to, to really share Christ. You know, or when it comes to discipleship, well, I really need to be, you know, schooled a little bit more, and then I'll go ahead and disciple someone. And I love what Matthew does. Matthew gets all of his tax collectors together. He says, dude, come on, come on, come on. Throws this massive party and Jesus is eating with them. And I just, again, this is me reading in the text, but I can't help but think Matthew's you know, sitting there talking to this guy named Bob, which probably wasn't the name back then, but whatever. And he's talking to Bob and, and Bob's like, so, <clears throat> so tell me, Matthew, tell me about this Jesus guy. Where does he sit on the end times? Matthew's like, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't know. Okay, well, tell me, tell me, hang on. Now this Matthew, this, now Matthew, this, this, this Jesus character, what does he say about fasting? Um, 
I don't know that either. What about women in ministry? I'm just not sure. Uh, what about what about who's he with? What about the Trinity? I, I, yeah, I, I got nothing, buddy. But hang on. He just looks at this guy. This looks Bob in the eye and says, "But he's here. He's he's right here with us right now." I don't know anything else. I've heard some crazy things about this dude, but he's here right now in the midst of us, eating with us. He told me to follow him. Me to walk with him. And Matthew's going, I don't care what it says about end times. I don't care anything. He showed me love and compassion. He accepted me right where I'm at, unworthy, despised, and hated. And he said, follow me. I feel like he's just looking at his Bob and going, dude, you're, you're missing it. I don't know any of that stuff. And I'm, I'm hoping I'll figure it out. But, but I mean, I don't know how he... He made the, the demons go away. I'm not sure about this whole, the storm was going crazy and the water's calm. I'm not even sure what the, the 2,000 pigs and bacon, I have no idea what any of that means. But I can tell you this, he looked me in the eyes and he said, follow me. The fact that I was hated, despised, and unworthy, he said, no, no, come on, follow me. And now look, at he's eating with all of us. See, I feel like Matthew realized right away the first posture, a sinner in desperate need of God's grace. A sinner that is not worthy of his relationship, is not worthy of anything, but, but recognize in that moment, in that instance, God disrupts his plans and Jesus stepped into him and said, look, look me in the eyes. Come on, buddy. You're with me. Come on. Follow me. That's the first posture. What did Matthew do? I mean, I don't think he could have gotten stuff fast enough. He jumped up and was like, look, where are we going? You just picture just a, a few moments later, like a couple days later, and Matthew's sitting at the campfire with Jesus and, and all these other people and these disciples. And he's looking around going, okay, there's some fishermen here. That's, that's weird. I've taxed them. Cool. And, um, and, oh, wow. Do you think at any moment he had a, a like, I totally belong here. This is, this is, I deserve this. It's about time God recognized my glory. No. Every single day, every single face was someone he had taxed, was a reminder of what he had done. And instead of looking at that reminder and looking over and being like, hey, Peter, about those extra fish I took from you, man, I'm really sorry. <laughs> like, you cool? You know, good? Instead of doing that, instead of even worrying about that, he just looked at Christ and said, hey, I'm, I'm welcome here. Not because of anything I've done. Not because I'm really awesome or I have all these things to offer God's kingdom. No, God disrupted, Jesus disrupted my plans by stepping in and entering into relationship with me. So the first posture we have is a sinner saved by grace. A sinner not worthy of walking with Jesus. A sinner that has every right to be dropped off, forgotten, spit at, ruined, destroyed, ostracized from community. We are that person. And he says, no, no. You're mine. Follow me. That's our first posture. Broken, messed up, in need of Jesus calling us. And the first thing Matthew does is he throws a party. And I love in the Gospel of Luke, it tells us that many follow him after that. So Matthew, this guy that knows little to nothing about other than what he's heard about Jesus, now has experienced Jesus on a, in a relational level, throws a party and says, dude, you've got to meet this guy. Like, if nothing else, hey, here's our way back in. Like, come on, like we can be welcomed again. And many follow him from that. Matthew, the evangelist, 
Didn't wait till he, you know, could preach on whether or not predestination or Arminianism was the way to go. Didn't wait to, to figure out what was going to happen in this theological decision of end times. He just said, you know what? This guy entered into a relationship with me and I didn't deserve it. And therefore, everyone else, come on, know this man. And the second posture is, is the Pharisees. And this is really the first of the Pharisees, other than the, the kind of the questions of the murmurs in their heart about why is he saying he forgives sins? But this is kind of the first, like, opposition. And I love it. The Pharisees didn't even have the backbones to come to Jesus. They go to his disciples, who are, by the way, again, the Pharisees knew the law. They had the rab- rabbi law and all the Old Testament. They had it all down. They were understanding it. And so they go to the fishermen. Say, hey, hey, fishermen, why is he eating with these people? And Jesus, I love it. He doesn't even give the fishermen a chance to answer. He steps right in. And he says three very, very specific things to them. And, and honestly, a really, really sharp rebuke. The first one is like, look, you should know this. You should know this, Pharisees. You should understand this. But the sick are who need a doctor. And Jesus is pushing because God of the Old Testament would have been called the healer. We knew that the, 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 the Messiah was coming to be the healer. And so he's saying, it's not the healthy who need the healer. It's the sick. It's not, the, it's, not the, it's not the ones that are, that are, that are easily got at all self-righteous. It's the ones that are hurting and broken and messed up that need a doctor. How did, how did you miss this? How did you miss this? And then the second one he says, he says, go and learn. Go and learn was a commonly used term from rabbis to students that should know what he was about to say. Essentially, this was Jesus going whoosh across the face. Hey, dudes, you should know this already. You should, you of all people should know what I'm about to say. And he says, go and learn. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoted, quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. And if you've read the story of Hosea, there's so much. You go back, it's short, it's easy to read. But it's, it's the story of, of Gomer's unfaithfulness to, his, to her husband. And she's, she's completely unfaithful to her husband. And so Gomer kind of is this depiction and a bigger picture of Israel and its unfaithfulness to God. But yet Gomer's husband is, is relentless in compassion and forgiveness and, and mercy. And so just like in the Old Testament that Jesus is saying, dude, you guys should know this. I desire Mercy, not sacrifice. And these righteous, self-righteous Pharisees were so good at doing things that they decided that it was okay for them to be completely void of mercy or compassion. In fact, I talked about posturing. That the first posture is us being sinners in need of God's grace, recognizing that we have nothing to be there. The second posture is this hypocritical posture. And if you want to know if you fit into this, because I feel like sometimes we can, how do you feel about those that aren't in Christ? I mean, like, this is, this is where it hits the, you know, the cake hits the, whatever, the, whatever hits the ground that's supposed to hit the ground. I'm not even sure what that term is. <laughs> but this is it. Like, how, how you respond to those that aren't in Christ. Do you look and go, they, oh, I can't believe them. How dare they? You start standing yourself more self-righteous. Maybe it's your family friends, your spouse, you start isolating yourself in the sense of I'm better than. I know 
better than. So therefore, I can hate that person. I can loathe that person. What about the people that are really ugly? I struggled with this in the Philippines. One of the people that was in the Philippines said, you know, the people that are buying these girls need God's grace too. I was like, no, they don't. They deserve God's wrath or a fist or something. No, no one's out of reach of his grace. And the instant I posture myself and how dare they coming very close to being like a Pharisee. How dare they? You want to know if you're a hypocrite, how do you receive those who aren't in Christ? And then the last thing he says, he just basically ties himself in and says, I, for I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners, which is another slap in the face of these Pharisees because in their mind they were right by their heritage, by what they did, and Jesus is saying, I didn't come to call them, I came to call the sinners. I came for the people that don't, don't deserve me. In fact, this is not a new thing he's teaching. The Sermon on the Mount, blessed, uh, uh, Matthew 5.3, blessed are the, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that recognize they don't have anything to bring to the table. They got nothing. It's all God, and it's what he does in them, and he's the one that changes it. This isn't a new theory he's teaching. He's just applying it now. See, without compassion, all rituals, ceremonies, and sacrifices are unacceptable to God. You can do your rituals all day long, but if you lack mercy and compassion, this is why I love Serve Sundays. Look, I'm gonna, this may hurt some of your feelings. I'm okay with that. You check this box, go to church. Serve Sunday. Let's go around that one. I don't want to do that. And check the box of going to church again. You're punching some time card in heaven. This is the, the chance for us to actually show mercy and show compassion. And I don't know who. They wouldn't tell me and I told them not to because I might have treated them differently. Because I'm a work in progress, okay, guys? People are like, oh, it's just too hot to serve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's, it's cool and AC in here. So I, I had every every desire to turn the heat way up in here today and just be like smoldering, sweating hot in here. See, it's this desire in us to go, it's not, it's not comfortable to serve. It's not comfortable to get out and be merciful. It's not comfortable to, to, to engage in that level. It's so much easier to just sit in a, in a fairly uncomfortable chair and listen to some guy talk at me for a few minutes. You're borderline there. You have no desire to serve. No desire to be the hands and the feet. No desire. Jesus says some really hard things about that later in the text. We'll get there at some point. But he says it right here to these Pharisees. Look, you can do all your rituals all day long, but I desire mercy, not sacrifice. I want to see you engage in that. And so we do serve Sundays as a way for you to not skip church, but as a way for you to taste that and be a part of that. And some of you are like, oh, I don't really want to do it. Some of you had really legitimate, don't come up to me after I had people come up. Well, I was out of town. It's like, I wasn't, I joked about role attendance. It's not like I was doing that, you know. If you weren't where I was, then I didn't see you. It's okay. But it's, it's a heart matter. And then there's a third group. So the first posture is, is those that are sinners that just, they recognize they have no stake in it, except for that he disrupted them and came right in and invited in. The second one is those self-righteous, the ones that, that, 
that think it's okay to just hate those that aren't in it, that, that they, can, they can ostracize and, and be rude to all people, and they can just do all these rituals and ceremonies and be right. And the third one is, is, is a group that, that is interesting because it's John's disciples. We don't know if this happened at the dinner table, if this, how long this instant comes from this whole Matthew and Pharisees and tax collector thing, but we're just going to lump it in. I'm going I'm to pretend like it came right at this point. Okay, and, and John, John's disciples come to Jesus, and they ask a, a legitimate question. And I think the heart behind their question is legitimate. They don't go to the disciples. They go right to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, how, how, come, how come us and, and, and the Pharisees fast and your disciples don't? And so Jesus answers the question at, at face value. He says, look, you don't fast when, you're, when, you're, when the bridegroom's present. And see, the, the thing is, is there was Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, was the one called fast once a year. That was the, the one fast that they were called to do in the Old Testament law. Like, this is it. Jesus wasn't against fasting. He even said in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He even taught us how to fast. He taught us in a way that he expected fasting would happen. But what was going on is the rabbis and the, the teachings of the rabbis have taught that you fast twice a week at this point. And people held to that very, very well, ritualistically. The, the Pharisees held to it really well, and John's disciples held to it really, really well. And so the question seemed legitimate. And so Jesus is saying, you don't fast when the bridegroom's present. In that day, a wedding ceremony went on seven days. Now, that's crazy, right? That's a lot of time. They'd have a big old party. The friends would throw this party. It'd be seven days. He's saying, why would you, in the middle of this wedding ceremony, why would you stop and mourn and fast a celebration? In the Old Testament, both in Hosea um, 2 and in, in Isaiah 65, the bridegroom is a term for Yahweh, for God. And so what Jesus is saying is, why are you going to fast when I'm standing here with you? Why are you going to mourn and, and, and separate yourself when you can celebrate the fact that I'm right here, my presence is here, I am here with you right now? Why would you run from that? Why would you fast? And so on paper, it looks like a pretty legitimate question. Hey, what, what's going on? But then Jesus goes into these two other stories here. He talks about an old, a new patch on old linen, and then he talks about wine and, and skin. And you're like, what's going on here? And I feel, like, I feel like maybe these two stories point to a little bit of the heart of the question. See, these disciples of John actually were being disobedient. In, in, in the book, in the Gospel of John 3, we see that John... His disciples come to him going, wait, Jesus is across the water. He's like baptizing people too, and you're doing it here. What's going on? And, And John says, dude, I'm not the Messiah. Let me tell you right now, I am not the Christ. I must decrease. He must increase. Follow him. Follow him. I was the one before. He's the Messiah. And so basically, he ordered all of his disciples, like, stop following me. Head to Jesus. And we know from Acts 19 that lots of his disciples actually didn't. And we also found out in Matthew 4 that, that, that John has already been imprisoned at this point. And so here are John's disciples, why John's in prison, and they're still trying to follow John, and, John, and, and they're, they're not supposed to be. They're supposed to be following Christ. And so I kind of feel like this question maybe with Jesus' response was more of a, hey, Jesus, why, why, why do you keep pointing to this, like, internal forgiveness stuff? When, when John and the Pharisees talk about fasting and this external things that we can actually attain and do. Because at the heart of their question is they, they weren't being obedient even to John as a disciple of his. 
And I think that's where Jesus says. He says these two things. He says, first off, everything was linen. And so he's saying, look, you, you wouldn't put a patch of unshrunk cloth on new cloth be, or on old cloth because once it's, it's washed, it's going to shrink up and it's going to pull and make a worse tear than before. And then he uses this whole wine. He says, look, you wouldn't pour new wine into old wineskins. So the wineskins would have been usually an animal hide of some sort, like prepared for it, sometimes turned inside out, and it would be whole, and they would cut holes in the end of legs or whatever. And, and essentially what would happen is, is over time, that would become brittle and hard. And so his point was, when you put new wine in that, it's going to shatter and you're going to lose the wine. And essentially what Jesus is saying, he's like, look, I did not come to add to a religious system. You can't, you can't take me and patch me on to your religious system. I'm going to tear a new hole in that. It's not going to work. And he said, look, I can't be contained by your religious system. This old thing you're doing, and it's, to be clear, he's not talking about Old Testament. He's talking about all the extra laws the scribes and rabbis had put in place. All these extra religious things that are in place. He says, this doesn't work that way. You can't just add me to this, keep upholding these things and doing this. You, you, this, not, this is new. I'm new wine, and I'm therefore desire new wineskins. And therefore, we will be pre- preserved when it's done that way. So he postures, I, I call the, the disciples of John religiously confused. Their posture is essentially that they, they, they keep looking to a system to save them. They keep looking to a, a checkoff. If I could just do these things, then everything's okay. And Jesus is saying, stop it. Stop it. The doing is going to come out of who you are, who I am in you. Stop trying to check off a box and be in this religious system and uphold all these things and then put me in the middle of it. Don't think you do that. Some of you do that with offering. You do that with your singing of worship. You do that with serve Sundays. You treat all of these things as ways to make yourself right before God, but in Christ you are already right before God. You use religious systems as a way to try and feel like you've, you've connected. I'm going to go to church so that I can know God. It's like, well, oh, I mean, that helps. It's great, but that's not how it happens. Jesus already said, I disrupt your plan. I step not in some organization. I step relationally, and I break in right where you are. Usually unsuspecting. I love it. So these two illustrations basically show, look, I'm not going to patch your religious system. You don't get to choose religion and make me fit into that. And you don't get to add me to some old thing and hoping that I will be contained by it because you cannot contain me in that. So stop. So we have these three postures. And the posture of, of Matthew, who's, man, I don't get it. doesn't make sense, but I'm in. Let's do this. I don't deserve to be here. It makes no sense why I'm here. But I'm here. And I'm in. We have the, the Pharisees, the hypocrites, those that, that, that are offended by the fact that Jesus even would offer grace to someone like Matthew. They're offended by the fact that maybe your friend did something 
that didn't seem biblical. I'm, look, I am so, like, I lack grace for Christians that don't, don't live that way. I'm a black and white person. And every time I do that, it's like God just takes me and goes whack across the face. He says, what do you deserve, Brent? I'm equally deserving of God's wrath, but because of what Christ has done, I am righteous before him. So, so if you want to know if you're a hypocrite, again, it's what, how do you view those that aren't in Christ? Do you have a, a disdain, a, a burden? Like, oh, they're just so, uh, it's annoying. It takes too much time. I don't want to be around those people. Or do you have compassion on them? Compassion going, dude, come on. There's someone that can change all this. And the third one is religiously confused. Are you looking to a religious system? Are you looking to rituals and things to be done on the external in hopes that it will make everything work? Well, then you're in the wrong posture again. A true believer, Jesus, is, is follows, follows Jesus, follows the Lord like Matthew. Gets up, jumps, like, I'm in. Let's go. I'm not saying that you can't understand or know more about Christ. Like, he, he does that. He teaches us. and he, his, his spirit becomes inside of us and, and compels us to know more of God. And so church and Bible study and all this other stuff is good. It's good stuff. But it's not the thing. It's Christ. Have compassion on saved, on unsaved. You forsake legalism and rituals at the cost of no mercy or compassion. If you're saying it's okay to be, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer God all this money, I'm going to serve Him in this way, I'm going to do all these things, but I have no compassion, no desire, no mercy to see anyone else saved, you, you've missed it. You're religiously confused. You're spinning your wheels for your own selfish ambition. You're in Christ, you have this posture of I don't belong here. You can sit and you can look at the person right next to you in the chair and say, hey, you don't belong here either. But good news is in Christ we're accepted. You know how you can tell if this is an issue? We talked to, at, at youth campus last week, I got to talk about identity. And, and one of the things that we realized really quickly is that people really struggle with um, reputation as identity. Identity isn't your reputation. Identity is who you are. And if your identity is in Christ, then therefore your identity is established in God. And God is already established. So nothing you do or don't do changes it. Right? It's, it's solidified in that. One of the things I realized is that, is that acceptance is our big issue. Right? See, Matthew was in no way accepted. He wasn't accepted by anyone except for the other sinners. And, and my bet was that they didn't really trust each other either because, I mean, let's see how much you're really going to have someone else's back. Right? He wasn't accepted in any way, shape, or form. And I feel like a lot of us in here, we weave in and out of these postures because of acceptance. We want to be accepted by man. We want to be accepted by our spouse. We want to be accepted by our friends. We want to be accepted by the church. We want to be accepted by this this social hobby. We want to be accepted by all these things, but in Christ, Matthew's going, I'm accepted by Christ. That's enough. Who cares about what I was? Who cares about what every other person says? And I think, how beautiful is it that these Pharisees are going, how dare he eat with them? I feel like the you could have heard a pin drop in that room. Pharisees are like, why is he eating with those people? And every single sinner, sinner and tax collector went, Jesus? Like, what's going on here? Like, what's going to happen? And I love that Jesus just said, I'm here for them. 
I'm here for, I'm here for you. I'm here for all of you. Not some fake religious system, but I am ready for you. And here's the best part. You can be accepted by me, not by anything you do or don't do. You're accepted by me because of what I've done. And he uttered you two words. Follow me. And so I can't help but think the posture that we need to have is a sinner in desperate need of God's grace that we've experienced. And therefore, I can't imagine if we just sat in that, how drastically different our relationships with everyone else would be. I mean everyone, even the church folk, even the, the Pharisees. If I sat in a spot of freedom recognizing that I don't deserve what I have in Christ, but neither do you, so therefore let me tell you about it. And I don't care what you say about me or do, don't say, or I'm, I'm here. And I shouldn't be here. It's like Jesus just said a few, few verses before, I forgave sins, which is easier to do, forgive sins or tell them to get up and walk. And he did both. So do you posture yourself in a way that you remember the fact that you don't belong at the campfire with Jesus? Picture yourself just sitting there looking around and going, man, I can't believe they're here and they're here. And what am I doing here? And Jesus doesn't bring you in as a, okay, well, I just, you know, I need to, I'm feeling a little bit like I should be doing something for, like nice to people right now, you know, a little extra, like make everyone feel better at the campfire. Come on, you can join in. No. He invites all of us into relationship with him. And I, I, I can't help but think our lives would be drastically different if we just sat in that posture. We just recognize, I feel like we'd be so much more gracious to our spouses, to our kids, to our bosses, to those annoying people online, to C drivers. Just, I'm just going through my list, I'm sorry. <clears throat> point is this. I, my desire is that every one of us, and this is the reason it was a great reminder of why we even jumped into Matthew, because I feel like of all the authors, that is the one that we can relate to best. Man, this guy didn't have a single chance to do anything to save himself. He had no, he like, it was, the towel was thrown in, the game was over, like it had already ended. He had succumbed to the fact that there was no hope for him ever being a Jew that was right before God ever being allowed to, to worship God, he felt there was no hope for him. And in an instant, Jesus just disrupted that by taking one step in with a crowd of people around him looking and going, I can't believe he's inviting this guy in. And then he just chose, I don't care what anyone else says, I'm in. Jordan's going to come up and we're going we're gonna to sing again and we're going to worship. And I, I want to challenge you, I want to encourage you to not just sing out of a ritual. Not worship in the in the sense that you can just worship because oh I you know this is what you do at this point in the service. I want to I want to challenge you guys to actually worship at a spot where you recognize that you don't even deserve or belong in a room where you can sit and worship the God who saved you. I want you to stand up and I want you actually to sing this next song, recognizing that there is truth to the words that we're singing. There's truth the power that Christ has. And it's not because of anything you've done, but because of his power, you can stand at his throne room and worship him as a holy priesthood, as an adopted precious child. 
You can sit at the campfire with Jesus in relationship, not because of anything you've done or anything you're going to do, but because of who he is and what he's done. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that um, uh, that you disrupted my life, Lord. That you stepped into my selfishness and brought me out. Changed me into something that I still struggle at times to believe righteous. You, you invited me into relationship with you. You invited me into to ushering in, being a part of ushering in the kingdom, your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm so undeserved of that, God, and every single one of us are. I pray that when we, when we, when we sing, when we worship, when we give, when we, when we read, when we do anything, when we serve, God, that it would be done out of a posture recognizing that we do not deserve to be in this spot, but you graciously give it to us. Father, may we be a people that are marked by the fact that, that, that we aren't known by our sins or our past, but known by what you have done in Christ. God, forgive us for times forgetting that. Forgive me for, for, for thinking that I'm worthy and good at what I do. Forgive me for re- forgetting about the fact that you are the one that brought me into your relationship. You are the one that disrupted my plans. You are the one that does all the good works through me. It's your spirit alive in me. So, Father, would we please be a people with a posture, not of, of Pharisees, not of religiously confused, but a posture of recognizing that we are sinners that don't belong, but, man, you just graciously invite us into a process that makes no sense. Father, would we not just believe that in our head, but would you sink that into our hearts and apply it into our actions? May we walk in step with your Spirit as he lives freely inside of us because of what you've done on the cross. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.